Hey guys, John Cardillo, Bernie Carrick, former New York City Police Commissioner, Reality Unmasked. You know, normally Bernie and I do these shows and we talk about serious subject matter, but we tend to be a bit tongue-in-cheek. We joke around, we're, we're casual about it. Not for this one, because this one is about what may be the most egregious case of corruption that I've ever seen, that I think Bernie's ever seen in state, local or federal law enforcement. Of course, we're talking about what happened to General Michael Flynn. I mean, in short, people that were engaging in a coup against the President of the United States framed, I'm not going to even say allegedly anymore, Bernie, framed the United States National Security Advisor, an American hero, a three-star general with an impeccable, impeccable resume, an impeccable career, a war hero. And a guy we've come to know who's just a really decent man, a great American. I mean, this is, it, it, you said it best, it's sickening. It's not only sickening. It's, uh, it is the most substantial um, corruption that anybody has ever seen yeah. in the FBI or yeah. the Justice Department. Um, and I think John sums it up best when he said this was what began um, as an attempted coup of the president uh, of the United States, a duly elected president, um, constitutionally elected president uh, of the United States. Um, and Michael Flynn uh, seems to be the first tool in, in their tool chest of things that they were gonna use to go after the president. Yeah. So yeah. I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna take you back to when this all started. Um, president uh, Trump brought Mike Flynn a lieutenant general who had been in the, the intelligence community for decades, least, decades, decades right? Yeah. Decades. Direct, he was head of the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, in addition to his, I mean, really an illustrious military career. Very few people in history have achieved the third star right. in the exactly. United States military, no matter the branch. It's an elite club, a lot of merit, a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work, uh, dedication, uh, patriotism, courage, yeah. leadership. Um, so President Trump brings him in as the national security advisor. And when he does, President Obama goes to President Trump and says, don't do this. Don't bring him in. And a lot of people, and I think this is where, where people have, have dropped the ball and they haven't focused on why. That's right. Why would the Obama administration, why would they go to President Trump and say, don't do this? You know, I, I've sort of looked into this, and we've talked about it in the last few days, especially as these, Online, offline, these, these on new air, allegations air. have come to light. <laughs> um, why? Look at, look at General Flynn's reputation during the Obama administration, what he was doing in the intelligence community. Especially with regards to Iran and China and North Korea. Iran, yeah. North Korea, yeah. Russia. Benghazi, Benghazi. In the aftermath of Benghazi, when Susan Rice went on every major, you know, uh, channel to basically say that, um, you know, give the, the Obama timeline. Or, and say it was about a YouTube video. It was about a YouTube yeah. video. General Flynn knew that was a lie. General Flynn told them that was a lie. Um, bin Laden. So, Bern, let me ask you a question, because this is something you and I have spoken about, and I've tweeted this, and I, I, I've made my feelings on this known pretty well, but I want to get your take on it again. I, I've been saying that if I were going to engage in a coup d'etat against Donald Trump, and this is unique to Donald Trump, and 
I believe, I firmly believe that is what this was. Bernie's right. It was a coup d'etat. They wanted this guy unseated. D.C. has been a swamp. It's been the same place for years. Trump comes in. He's not one of them. He's going to expose people. He's going to trim the fat. And one day we'll do a show on this. But political consultants, establishment political consultants have lost collective, collectively hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Billions. Because, of, right, because Donald Trump, it's a new day, a new way to do business. But anyway, if I'm going to launch a coup against Donald Trump, What's my first move going to be? First move is going to be trying to concoct and fabricate evidence to give this some weight, to, to, to facilitate it. I, I need a catalyst. That was the bullshit steel dossier. Right. Concocted by a foreign spy using Russian assets. We'll get into later why the real traitors are the people who try to take down Flynn and Trump and, and, and Stone, et cetera. But if I'm going to go after Trump, the first guy, the first guy I'm going to go to take out is General Michael Flynn. And why? Three-star general, warrior, spy master, head of the DIA, but a guy who knows how D.C. works, a guy who knows what I'm going to do, it's going to be two steps ahead of me, and a guy who knows where all the bodies, all the political bodies are buried, all the political uh, 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 screw-ups and, and dirty deeds and dirty tricks of the previous administration, what they were, when they happened, where they are. If I want to go after Donald That's Trump, most important. Yeah. That's most important. If I want to go after Trump, he he's the, the guy players. I'm taking out. Yeah. He knew the players in the Obama administration. And what they did. And what they did. That's right. So what do you want to do? You want to get rid of him. And uh, in the way they did this, how it started out is with a phone call um, to a Russian ambassador, right? And basically, he made a phone call to tell the Russian ambassador, tell Putin, lay low, don't get crazy, don't retaliate on the Obama administration because of... Mm -hmm things that Obama said and did. Um, and well, Bernie, so let me, what I'm going to do is, as we go through these, I'm going to butt in because I want Bernie to elaborate because he's had a unique lens. He sat in a lot of offices people haven't. So you were the interior minister of Iraq. Right. Some of the bloodiest days in that war. Right. You've dealt with the State Department. Right. You've dealt with the White House. With the, you've been on the other end of these phone calls. Right. Was that unusual or is that business as usual for the incoming national security advisor? No, it's, in, it's, it's business as usual. And, and, and people have to remember this. You know, I, I talk to a lot of friends uh, on, on both sides of the aisle, and they'll say, well, they were wiretapping Flynn's phone because he was, criminal, he was doing something criminal. Ridiculous. That's a lie. Yeah. That's completely false. What they were really doing is they were intercepting the Russians' phone. They do that this is Kis all the Kisliak, time. This is Kislyak, the ambassador. Yeah. The ambassador. That's done across the board with oh, all foreign nationals. To every foreign national of every... A girl I dated years ago, when she was in the Air Force, she was detached to the NSA. She used to have to listen to, I won't say the country, but the ambassador of a certain South American country with his mistress. Right. That's all she did. Her, her entire day consisted of that. We do this to everybody. Every, everybody across the board, they listen to. And in this one particular conversation, Mike Flynn gets picked up on the conversation. They listen to the conversation. They know who Kislyak is talking to. They know there was nothing criminal involving the conversation. But at some point in time, somebody gets a brain fart in Washington, primarily Jim Comey, decides, yeah. you know what? We can use this. Well, was it Comey advantage. or do we think it went above? Was it Brennan? Was it Clapper? Was it even well, maybe Obama himself? I, I, I personally, personally. What do, you, what do you think personally? I think it goes all the way up the chain to President Obama. See, I do as well. Uh, okay. I, do I think well. it goes all the, way up the, all the way up the chain because 
Comey wouldn't know about that conversation unless Brennan or, or one of these other guys, uh, Susan Rice or, right. or Valerie Jarrett, one of them had to tell him. Right, right. They had to tell him. So Comey decides, you know what? We're going to use this to our advantage. We're going to go interview him. Now, Comey admits. He admits. We have that you, video of him. You'll yeah. watch the video. With where, Nicole Wallace. He's doing that interview with Nicole Wallace. That's right. Of MSNBC. When you watch it now, Bernie's going to tell you what it is if you don't know what we're talking about. When you watch it now, you have a whole different point of view. And you say, and, holy shit, did this guy actually just say that? I sent them. Um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration, <laughs> the protocol, two men that all of us have perhaps increased appreciation for uh, over the last two years. <laughs> and in both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough, let's just send a couple guys over. <laughs> and so uh, we placed a call to Flynn, said, hey, we're sending a couple guys over. Uh, hope you'll talk to them. He said, sure. Nobody else was there. They interviewed him in a conference room at the White House Situation Room, and he lied to them. And that's what he's now pled guilty to. What did he think they were coming over there for? Uh, I don't think he knew. I no, we didn't tell him. Just said, we've got a couple, sending over a couple of agents. I want to ask you some questions. I didn't have this conversation. My deputy director did. But hope, uh, hope you got a few minutes. You can sit down and talk to them. And he said, sure. Well, I, personally, I still can't believe he said it. I couldn't believe he said it when he said then, it. But, but now, now, now with it. the evidence that's to come out, it, it's really yeah. compelling that he admitted, one, he would have never made this call to the Obama administration or to the Bush administration. And how does he phrase it? That was important. And basically, he says... Uh, I wouldn't have gotten away with it. In a more organized in a administration. More, or, in a more organized administration because he knew... He knew they just got there. But he also knew, Bernie. They just got there. He also knew that Trump was forced to take people like Reince Priebus as his chief of staff and H.R. McMaster as his national security advisor, people that did not want him to succeed as president. In the first place. In the first place. That's why it's hard to believe when you do what we do and you talk to the people that we interface with every day who are very close to this, it's hard to believe that this was not a coup with all of these actors working right. in concert. I, I'm and even when they, but John, spiritual even, guy, even, I believe it. Even when they weren't working in concert, they all wanted the they, same outcome. They were, right? When they weren't, they still were, <laughs> it, yeah. It, right, it wasn't intentional. Anyway, uh, go back to it, because you were on a great track and I sidetracked you. Okay, so Comey basically admits he sends two agents over to the White House to speak to General Flynn. He basically admits he never told the White House counsel they never told Flynn he was an investigative target. They didn't tell Flynn what they were looking for. They asked him about the conversation he had uh, with Kislyak. To the best of his recollection, he said basically what he, th what he thought the conversation consisted of. And out of that interview, the interviewers came back and said, we don't think he did anything wrong. Now, in doing that, 
they had to write a report. That report's called a 302. Yeah. Now, I want to I want to delve in, go a little deeper into the interview. All right, because there are some important nuances that I believe the mainstream media is missing. And one of those nuances is the breakdown of the FBI. The FBI, the Bureau, really has two core missions, right? One is law enforcement, federal law enforcement. The other is national security. And within that federal law enforcement mission, it's everything from white-collar crime to drugs to terrorism. But the national security branch operates less like a law enforcement agency, more like a counterintelligence agency within the U.S. And the important takeaway here, and I'm surprised more people aren't reporting on this, they act somewhat autonomously in the FBI and often interface with the U.S. National Security Advisor, the National Security Council. So now you're General Michael Flynn. You're a three-star general. You've had an impeccable career, and you're sitting in your office as the National Security Advisor, brand new, Two FBI agents from the National Security Branch. We know one was Peter Strzok, presumably the other Joe Pienka. It's pretty much common knowledge now, even though it hasn't been confirmed. Come in to talk to you. If I'm General Flynn, I'm looking at this as if I'm talking to two subordinates. I've not been notified that I'm the subject of an investigation. I've not been told maybe I want to have counsel present. I'm not told there's an investigation at all, and parts of this conversation might be used. So I'm now the National Security Advisor of the United States of just left being a three-star lieutenant general, and I'm talking to two GS, FBI agents. They weren't even SES. They weren't even senior executive service. They're my subordinates. If I'm General Flynn, I don't feel I need to disclose to them the content of the conversations I've had with the president, the vice president, the Russian ambassador, or anybody. They're not, they don't need to know. I don't even know if they're cleared. They're about 25 ranks below. Right, 25 ranks below. They're below the national security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you agree with it? I I completely agree. So they get in there, they have this conversation, but even then, even then, they didn't think he did anything wrong. They They didn't didn't. think he said anything wrong. And there's this, this issue of, by that point, the investigation was actually on, on him supposed to be closed right? because they found nothing. It was because of the ineptitude of people in this investigative chain of command at the FBI that it wasn't. It was an oversight. They just didn't close the case. Right. So exactly. had they, this conversation might not have even happened. That's right. And, yeah. and uh, these two uh, agents, um, they document his interview in what the right. FBI classifies as a 302. So what is a 302, Brian? We always a, hear the term. Explain a, it. You've a 302, in, in the FBI, 302 is like an investigative summary. Right. So if you're conducting a surveillance, you do a 302. If you do an interview, you do a 302. If you, you know, you make an arrest, you do a 302. There's supplemental reports. Supplemental reports. Just like the in, in, uh, in, in the NYPD, it's, it's a DD5. DD5 in, in the, the DEA, it's yeah. a, uh, a D6 or something like that. So... In the FBI, they do a 302, and they basically write the substance of the interview. Now, we knew, or we believed, until two weeks ago, there has been specula- massive speculation um, that somebody altered the 302 involved in that interview. And nobody knew for sure, but that we, kept, we kept thinking that that had happened because... Nobody could find it. No, and, and, and so they knew eventually it was going to be found. And if you go back through the chatter, they knew that they couldn't keep these things concealed forever because somebody would crack. But you look at the evolution of the language of the mainstream media copy. First it was, 
well, immaterially altered, immaterially altered 302s. Then it was, well, if they were altered, it was, was for nothing uh, substantive. It was merely to clean up grammar, to put a comma where a semicolon might have been that should have been a comma, or cross a T, dot an I. Well, we found out that wasn't the case. These weren't altered. They were re-fucking-written. They, they were, were redone. And they were redone by the lovebirds, uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And what we now know is that Lisa Page was pissed off, uh, I think in her own words. Um, she was pissed off uh, at the way the 302 was written after Peter Strzok rewrote it. He already rewrote it. That wasn't good enough, so she had to do it herself. Now, I can tell you, the way this stuff works, when you submit a 302 in the FBI or, or a 6 in DEA. Right, five or, or a 5 in PD. Yeah. Or a 5 in PD. You write that interview summary, you give it to a supervisor, and if that supervisor was not on hand, the only thing that's going to be changed is your grammar and your spelling. Right. You can't rewrite somebody's investigative 302 on an interview if you were not there. Right. And, and the original is going, to be, is going to be safeguarded next to the revised version to ensure that nothing material was changed, that the comma exactly became That's exactly right, period. because this is going to be a court document right. if it goes to prosecution. That's right. So you can't get rid of this stuff. You've got to save it. Yeah, and when you're law enforcement, everything you do, part and parcel, to an arrest and investigation is, is, is exculpatory or inculpatory material. You have to provide that to the prosecution, to the defense. If, if I'm in a patrol car as a uniformed cop, right? And I have to interview you. You saw a shooting. If I write it down on a McDonald's napkin and then, and then I transcribe it into my memo book or my notepad, I you have better to have keep that napkin. that napkin. That napkin has got to go with everything else. And that's, that's when guys like us look at this, this travesty. And I want to just point out another nuance the mainstream media missed. We had the transcript of the Flynn call. The FBI knew nothing criminal happened. We had the transcript of President Trump's call with the Ukrainian, President Zelensky. They knew nothing criminal happened, yet in both cases, the transcripts were disregarded and criminal proceedings, and in the case of impeachment, an impeachment proceeding went forward. There was a transcript of General Flynn's call. That's the right. evidence is there. There was a transcript of the call. They knew there was nothing wrong with the call. They knew there was nothing bad. Um, but they wanted to prosecute. And, and we now know, uh, we only found this out in the last few days, um, when the Attorney General, Attorney General Barr, about two months ago, yeah. ordered uh, people from his office to conduct Jensen, Jensen, this Jensen to conduct an over, overall review of the case. And, and he said, anything that they have not been given regarding this case, that Flynn's attorneys were not provided, make sure they get it. And Jensen did this review, and lo and behold, what do we find? We find some handwritten notes by some of the investigators. Well, it started out as some. some. Now it's uh, up now to about 20,000 pages that weren't disclosed. Now it's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. But there's, there's one set of notes that's quite disturbing, especially for somebody like me. When you yeah. look at this, there's notes that basically ask, um, what are we trying to do here? Are we, one, are we looking for the truth? Or two, are we looking to prosecute, arrest, and have him fired? Yeah, or, or have him fired. Or have him fired. The, but, but, the most chilling part is when they said, what's our goal? 
These are federal prosecutors and FBI agents. Their goal is to uphold the Constitution of the United States, the laws of the United States, to go where the evidence takes you. And if that evidence completely clears and exonerates somebody to shake their hand, say, I'm sorry, and give them a declination of prosecution letter. No, not in this case. In this case, their goal, what was their goal? Their goal was to basically annihilate uh, General Flynn and personally, yeah. professionally, yeah. financially, and then go on to go after the president. Go on to go after the that president. was their goal. Yeah. They weren't looking for the truth. They were not looking for the truth, and we know that because they already had the truth. They had the transcript of the call. They had the recording. Right. They could have listened to it themselves. They had it. They didn't have to go to the extent they did. They didn't have to do the interview they did. Um, Jim Comey admits himself. Yeah, it was not necessary. That's what I want to ask you about. So, and this is where I, I don't think there's anybody out there in any visual medium, any audio medium, or audio medium that's going to have Bernie's experience on this, and you'll understand why in about three seconds when I explain. The New York City Police Department, both sworn and civilian, is about double the size of the FBI. Right. Right. FBI is about fifteen, twenty thousand sworn agents. NYPD thirty-five, forty thousand sworn cops. Right. So. Very few people, 40 to date, what do we have, 45 police commissioners to date, right? Right. Maybe 10 FBI directors, 12 FBI directors. So it's a very elite club and a lot of parallels. So it's really a question I've got for Byrne. If your chief of department, uh, your uh, first deputy commissioner, which would in effect be if you, we made a parallel of the police commissioner to the FBI director, right. your first dep would have been your Andrew McCabe. If he's meeting with your first dep, senior attorneys, uh, uh, the heads of the national security branch, the lead investigators in the national security branch, and they're plotting to bring down the mayor of New York City and his head of emergency management. You know about this. Yeah, of course you know. You know about this. And chances you are, are you're going to go to the... Well, they're, they're plotting to bring down the incoming mayor who's not your boss, but you're going to have to work for him for a little bit. Chances are your boss, the mayor from the opposition party, is going to know about this. One one thousand percent, there, John. Right. I don't care what anybody says. And what I'm saying is, Comey knew about this, and Obama knew about this. There was no way they, they didn't know. They they didn't have a choice but to know. Right. That call was intercepted by the intelligence community. Comey didn't know about that call until he was told. Kislyak was told. Flynn call. That right. Flynn Kislyak call. Right. He didn't know until he was told, and he was told by somebody in the intel community, most likely Brennan. Yes. Okay. And if Brennan told Comey, I promise you, Brennan told the president. Brennan would have told Obama. That's right. Now, here's what's even more disturbing, and, and we'll, we'll go into this. You're hearing the term five eyes, and you see people like George Papadopoulos tweeting about, wait till you find out about our friends and our, our friends in the intelligence world, our allies, and he puts it in quotes. So what he's talking, five eyes is, is a collection of other nations that are our allies. What is it, Bern? It's uh, the UK... Um, Australia, is it Italy, and Germany? Italy, Germany. Italy, Germany, the UK, Australia, and there's one. And I don't the, know the other ones. The US. The five. The five. five. Right. Yeah, I believe. Well, anyway, these are allied intelligence services with which we have pretty much an open and very broad intel sharing relationship. They, they come into our skiffs. They, we go into their secure facilities. The CIA can't operate within the borders of the United States unless they're working in concert with a federal law enforcement agency, but then again, they can only really intervene when they're dealing with foreign nationals. Right. Part and parcel to those investigations. There's no scenario whatsoever by which the CIA can investigate an incoming administration 
and American citizens part and parcel to the administration. But what John Brennan was able to do and what Papadopoulos is alluding to is he was able to go to those foreign partners and have those foreign partners spy on these Americans and then report back That's right. to John Brennan. And if that happened, you are witnessing the most egregious weaponization of the intelligence community in the history of the United States for political purposes. And it goes, and it goes beyond that. Yeah. That's weaponizing the intelligence community. They then weaponize the criminal justice system. The entire system. The entire system, the entire overall system to target the president, the incoming president who had just been elected. This is like something out of, this is something out of Russia. It is. And and I want to just, I want to elaborate on something you said, because I know this is going to evoke your passion. When Bernie says the entire criminal justice system, he's not kidding, because think about it. We know the FBI was compromised. We know DOJ was compromised. We know Mueller's was a persecution squad of thugs. But the story that's also not being told, we talk about it a lot. Look at what happened to Manafort when he had to report. Look at how he was taken into custody. Look at the way Roger Stone's door was kicked in. Paul Manafort was put into maximum security facilities in his 70s, jostled around. That wasn't the FBI. That's the Department of Justice Bureau of Prisons. So when he says, when Bernie says the entire criminal justice system was weaponized, it was because any, in any other point in history, a guy Manafort's age on nonviolent white-collar charges would have never been treated that way. No, no. Never. He would have never been treated that way. You would call him up and say, listen, you have to surrender on this day at this time. And he would go to a camp. Come down. He yeah. would surrender. Um, it, it, they were treated, you know, Roger Stone. Uh, yeah. Roger Stone's treatment was completely bizarre. They treated him like El Chapo. It, it, completely Crazy. bizarre. Um, so and this is evident across every one of these targets, yeah. every single one of the targets, every one of the people they used as a tool to get to the president. Um, and, uh, this is something that's continued right to today in, in a number of different categories that we'll talk about at another time. Um, but so one of the I, things they've been very effective at doing the, those plotting the coup and I lump most of the mainstream media in is creating this, this narrative. Well, General Flynn pled guilty. He did. In open court, he allocated he's guilty. He did. But the part they leave out, the part they omit, which is the crux of this case, and what's infuriating to me is I'm watching as this new exculpatory evidence comes out, and let's elaborate on that for a moment, because what's really been the uh, smoking gun here are these new notes that have been released by the DOJ to the judge. By the way, not by... Flynn's attorneys and Flynn's former attorneys at Covington and Burling, the firm that he got rid of, those lawyers should be disbarred and probably prosecuted. Eric Holder was a partner there. They, they worked with the government. We're going to get into this. Bernie will explain how your lawyers can work against you. But these notes that were finally disclosed as Brady material are handwritten notes, presumably by Bill Priestap, senior guy in the National Security Branch, handwriting notes where they're brainstorming on how to frame Michael Flynn. I mean, I can't believe the notes exist. They actually jotted down, how do we fuck this guy and how do we frame it? That's right. And they put him in the file. Yeah, I mean, that's my paraphrasing of what they wrote. And And, they put him in the file. And they put him in the file. And then when you look at those notes and you read the emails between Strzok and Page and you see them changing the 302, we now realize this was a complete frame. Yeah. That was their intent. There was, they weren't looking for the truth. So what happens? They get Flynn in there, 
and they basically do a couple things. One, they threaten to arrest his son and bring his son into the investigation, and they threaten to drag this thing on over years. He had already spent probably a million or two million dollars in legal fees. He was paying a fortune in legal fees. You know, and, and uh, John said something a minute ago. Uh, you know, when you're going through one of these investigations, you know, you have the whole U.S. government. Well, I, I've got news for you. A U.S. indictment, a federal indictment, at the top of that indictment, it says, United States of America versus, and it has your name. I promise you, it's not just the Justice Department. It's not just the State Department. It's every single agency, every agency in the entire United States that they want involved in the investigation. They're going to be in there. So Mike Flynn had the United States of America going after him, and he was running out of money. And at some point in time, he decides, you know what? I'm going to take the plea. He pleads guilty to making a false statement. One. One. One minor count. One minor count. One false statement. And, you know, people are screaming and yelling, well, he pled guilty. I've got news for you. If you're watching this video, if you don't know by now um, that probably 20% of the people in prison today, they don't plead guilty because they're guilty. That's right. They plead guilty because they don't have the money to pay for a real defense. And if you think you have the constitutional rights you think you have, you really believe that, you're wrong. You only have the constitutional rights you think you have if you have the money to pay for them, yeah, yeah. if you have the yeah. money for a real defense. And Mike Flynn couldn't keep up with that. But, but it, was one, it was one more step there. The, most federal defendants, yeah, they're in an adversarial relationship with their federal prosecutor, but in this case, Mike Flynn represented everything the Department of Justice and the FBI, that, that entrenched establishment leadership, didn't want reform, a light shone on the wrongdoing. So it wasn't... Transparency. They had a special place in their hearts for him, and they threatened his son. And now, full disclosure, we know the Flynn's, and I know Mike Jr. very well. He's actually a good friend of mine. Uh, the general's a great guy. I remember when they were going through this, for people that go out there on Twitter and Facebook and they're snarky, I remember Mike Flynn Jr. texting me 12.31 in the morning, basically saying, these vultures are outside my house, meaning the media... My wife and his infant baby couldn't sleep. They were threatening to destroy a young family unless General Flynn pled guilty to something he didn't do. You need to understand how bad this was. I don't care what your political persuasion. I couldn't care less. If you're the most liberal Democrat on the planet, this should chill you to the bone. What the, the FBI and Mueller's thugs did to this young family. To Mike Flynn Jr., who's never been accused of anything. Yeah, but John, they, they also took uh, one of the senior ranking members of the United States military. That's right. And they did everything in their power to annihilate him. Destroy his reputation. Just destroy this man. That's right. Financially. Um, and they basically achieved that. And they achieved that to the point that he had to give up. He pled guilty. And he pled guilty... December 1st, 2017. Wow. 2017. Two and a half years. It's two and a half years ago. Still has not been sentenced. And he hasn't been sentenced because the U.S. government wouldn't let it happen. And I personally think as we look at this today, that's going to be their demise. Yeah. They should have let him plead guilty. Should have fast-tracked that. Should have fast-tracked no, his No sentence. jail time. 
Let it, him go about his none business. Of this, none this of this would have gone down in history yep. as just a bad, you know, a bad time in American government. But they fucked up. Yeah. And they fucked up and they let it go and they held him out and they wanted him to cooperate and they continued to spew their lies in, in, in rhetoric in the mainstream media until Mike Flynn got a new, t- new attorney in Sidney Powell. And when he got Sidney Powell, when he brought Sidney Powell on as his new attorney and got rid of the old law firm, who I personally believe was working with the prosecutors. So, so explain, I want to explain to people how this can happen. Now, I've, I've really had a sea change, an evolution on the way I look at these white-collar prosecutions. Uh, since I've been working with Bernie now for a few years, but a uh, good friend of mine who worked on Wall Street, I watched something he went through. He did nothing wrong. He was cleared by every agency. But they tried to destroy his life and the lives of all the people he worked with on a trading desk for conducting finance as usual. Every, now this is an anecdotal incident, but it's a true story. Everybody at that bank on those trading desks who decided not to go with one of these big law firms that were recommended, recommended, every one of them has a blemish on their name. Those like my very good, this guy's like a brother to me, went to high school together. I know him since I'm 14 years old. Everyone like him that decided to find really aggressive attorneys that have been successful at beating the government, mostly sole practitioners like Sidney Powell, and, and my friend used a woman out of New York, they all beat the government. Right. They all beat the government because these attorneys had no interest in, in cozying up to DOJ and maybe going over there as a deputy attorney general one day or bringing those DOJ people in as partners. They worked there, they left, now the job was to beat them. So explain how these big firms do, Bernie, because you saw it firsthand, yeah, listen, how they work against their clients. Here's, here's the first thing they do. The first thing they do, 90% of the bigger firms, they sit you down, they listen to your case, and they tell you or they offer up um, their recommendation that you may want to consider a plea. And you could say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And they'll tell you, it really doesn't make any difference. Whether you did anything wrong or you didn't do anything wrong, it's the perception. Can you prove it in court? How are you going to prove it in court? And then they basically give you their retainer. Now, I can tell you, having gone through this and having gone through three sets of attorneys, the last set of attorneys I had, they wanted a million and a half dollar retainer up front. And in the month that I played guilty, October of 2009, October 2009, I was handed my legal bill for the month, for one month, for 30 days. Every time he tells this story, I just shake my head because it's hard to believe. 30 days. My legal bill for 30 days days. was $476,000. So don't tell me, don't, don't. Even our producer over here just popped, he's looking at his phone, he popped his head up and what the fuck? (laughs) Don't, Don't tell me that everybody that pleads guilty, they're guilty. Because yeah. I can tell you, you know, I, I can remember my brother coming to my house in the aftermath, screaming and yelling at me, why didn't you go to court? Why didn't you go to trial? You were five days from trial. You just gave up. I reached over into my inbox. I picked up the fucking stack of papers. I handed it to him. I said, here, I don't know. There's about three or $4 million worth of bills yeah. in there. You pay it. I'll go to court. You can't do it. You can't do and it. And in this case, General Flynn couldn't do it. He pled guilty. They should have sentenced him two and a half years ago. Yeah. Now 
it's going to wreak havoc on the FBI. And, and what Bernie's thing, saying is, had they just sentenced Flynn, let him you know, take, a, take a plea, sentence him, put an ankle bracelet on him, tell him go home, pull the ankle bracelet off after two months, Trump could have pardoned him quietly. None of this would have come to light. <laughs> DOJ wanting to be heavy-handed, what they did was they stepped on their dicks, bit themselves in the ass, and I'm glad they did because now it's all coming to light. And now, so I'm going to bring you to fa- fast forward to today. Um, we're in a position right now that every single day we're getting more and more of these releases of this more, new yeah. information from Almost, Jensen. It's 20,000 pages General. roughly now that were previously withheld. Over the last two weeks, three weeks or if so. That, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and everybody, I, I, I got to be honest, and I was, I was on this bandwagon. Everybody said the president should come out right now and pardon Pre- yeah. uh, General Flynn because it's apparent. It's I'm with you. Apparent. I'm, I'm, I'm with you that, that I, don't, I don't want that anymore. I want, yeah. yeah. It's overly apparent that he was framed. This was a setup. He was not guilty. He had to plead guilty. It's overly transparent. But I, I have to say today, I don't want General Flynn pardoned. Not me neither. I don't want him to take a pardon. Me neither. What I want is I want the release of these documents to continue because every time they release more documents, there's more ammunition that demonstrates what this case was really about. And I have to be honest, John, this isn't going to be, this this release of documents isn't just going to expose what they did to Flynn. Oh, no, it's going to expose what they did to everybody. It's going to expose what they did to everybody because it's the same investigators. And it exonerates It's Mueller's team. It's Andrew Weissman. It's Comey. It's McCabe, Lisa Strzok. Um, uh, 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 Je- Jeannie Ree, uh, Brandon Van Grack but Bernie's right I want to see General Flynn exonerated I want the DOJ to say we fucked up people that worked here broke every rule we're sorry General and another pet peeve I have the taxpayers should not have to foot the bill for the civil lawsuits that are going to come against Comey and McCabe and Mueller and Weissman and also I want to talk to you about uh, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, because last night, and you, know, you study all this subject matter as much as we do, it's impossible to grasp every little detail. You'd lose your mind. And one thing I didn't know, I talk about this case every day on air, and I study it, and I tweet about it, never realized that Andy Weissman was Chris Ray's subordinate at DOJ, and Chris Ray protected him. At the time, the Supreme Court rebuked Weissman for his treatment of the defendants in the Enron case, in the Arthur Anderson case, destroying companies. Chris Ray was the guy giving Weissman his marching orders and protecting him. Chris Ray needs to be escorted out of the FBI today. Chris Ray uh, not today. only protected Andy be Weissman, trusted. then he's been protecting the FBI yeah. for the last year and a half. Yeah. He's been in this position. He has not come forward with these documents. Nobody has been held accountable. No one, no one has been, you know, firing Page, firing McCabe. I don't even think that was, that was Chris Ray's doing. I think that was up the chain uh, to the attorney general. Um, But at the end of the day, Chris Ray did not hold anybody accountable. This stuff is still being suppressed. It's still being concealed. It's still coming out on a daily basis. That guy should not be in that position. And I'm going to tell a story. And the only reason I'll tell this story is because at the time, the person who told me told me it was okay to tell the story on air. They've since passed away, and they said it was okay to tell the story on air and use their name. And the guy I'm talking about, Bernie knows, you probably have seen him, Joe Coffey. He was a legendary New York City detective. Legendary. Son of Sam Case. Some of the biggest cases in the history of NYPD at the time. Right. Joe is one of these guys who personifies what the NYPD was. And I got to know him 
uh, uh, later on in his life. And uh, we were, I was profiling, at the time I had a radio show, it was going back about five, six years, I believe Joe died in 2015, I think that's when I spoke to him, and I had my radio show, I was doing TV as well, and I was profiling the Greg Scarpa case. Uh, Greg Scarpa was a mafia capo, and there was an FBI agent around Greg Scarpa named Lynn DeVecchio, and there was a lot of speculation that Scarpa and DeVecchio, and I'm going somewhere with this, that's going to make you say, whoa. Scarpa and DeVecchio had a similar relationship to Whitey Bulger and John Connolly, the FBI agent who protected him. So this agent had reached out to me. We spoke on the phone. He professed his innocence. And I reached out to Joe because he was an organized crime guy with all those guys. They were his contemporaries. And he said, well, I don't really trust the guy. And I think there's a lot of validity to him. Joe was a little more colorful with how he said it. But I remember this early, this is summer of 2015. We're in the primary. In the primary, Donald Trump, everybody still thinks Jeb Bush is going to be the nominee, right? Nobody's really, Joe said to me, he goes, but I'll tell you one thing. He goes, the worst guy in that whole bunch was that motherfucking cocksucker, Andy Weissman. You want to talk about dirty. This guy was, and he just ranted. on. Now, at that time, I had forgotten about Weissman and Enron. He, Weissman wasn't a household name. But to hear the most pro-cop cop you'd ever come across, a guy that always praised the prosecutors he worked with, Single, always, 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 Joe. always, to, always. And this guy was a legend. I mean, he's a legend in the NYPD. For him to single out Weissman five years ago, when, this, when the Mueller team came to the forefront and I saw Weissman up there and I saw what he was doing, I remembered that story. And I said, man, he, he called this years back. But that was his reputation. And, I, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, you knew Joe, yeah. I'll, I'll give you something on a personal note. You know, in the aftermath of my yeah. last set of attorneys, was uh, was removed by my judge, and I have to come up, you know, I have to go out and find new attorneys. Guess who one of the attorneys was that wanted to represent me? Uh, Mr. Andrew Weissman. <laughs> he wanted to represent me, and he wanted, if I'm not mistaken, it was either a million or a million and a half dollar retainer, and he said, I just left that office. He says, I know everybody there. Wow. We won't have a problem. He's basically guaranteeing an acquittal if you pay him a million. And I had, I had about four or five attorneys called me and said, dude, that is not the guy. That's not the guy. <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah. you know, we're going we're gonna to close it up here, but yeah. um, pay attention to facts. Um, watch what's going on. What's happening today is f- more frightening for me than you can ever imagine because, one, I've been through this, but, two... More importantly, if they can do this to the National Security Advisor, if they can do this to the President of the United States. A billionaire President of the United States. They can do it to you. They can do it to every one of you. And that's something we should all be afraid of. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you have to understand the government has to follow the Constitution. They can't break the law to enforce it. And that's what we're seeing at every step of the way here. And it's got to stop. Yeah, and... and Really dig into this on your own and, and look at the way things are supposed to operate. One of the things that the, uh, the left loves to do, and, and these people inside DOJ and FBI, is they like to make Americans believe. They love to float the narrative that, well, this is all very technical and legal and law enforcement ease and legalese, and you wouldn't understand it. You would. You would. When you look at this through a common sense lens, right, Byrne, and you say, ooh, that just looks bad, that looks dirty, it's because it is. 
and they're trying to confuse you and they're trying to put shiny things in your face to distract you. Keep an eye on this and follow the right accounts on Twitter. Follow me, follow Bernie, follow uh, the Federalist, Molly Hemingway and, and, and Sean Davis are doing great work. Byron York's been doing great work. The Fox hosts are doing great work on this. They're exposing this. Catherine Herridge has been doing outstanding Unbelievable work. investigative yeah. work. An unbelievable really? investigative. Look, Catherine Herridge, Greg Jarrett, uh, uh, Tom Fitton. And they're all chipping away at this and they're getting somewhere. But keep an eye on it. Bernie's right. You have to keep an eye on this because the only way you're going to hold government accountable... We, we will now, is you, is you. We've given up on the media. People like us, people like you are the only way we ensure this doesn't happen again.